0: Okay, let me begin this morning with three clarifications from things I said last week. Uh, Just by way of review, uh, I broke out the... uh, So our author, Allison, broke out two chapters, one for church offices, the other for church government. Uh, Which comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? This is a, a relationship that goes in a circle when it comes to understanding what these things mean. So last week we argued that uh, there is a gift of authority to the church. And the gift of human authority to the church begins with King Jesus. He is the head of the church. He designated apostles to be authoritative speakers on his behalf, gifted by the Holy Spirit, to teach the teachings of Jesus correctly, record them in Scripture for us. So the apostolic authority remains in the Word of God. Uh, we talked about membership and the peculiar authority of members, both to receive members, exclude members, and to appoint leaders, and if God forbid necessary, to remove leaders. These are authorities peculiar to the membership of the church. Uh, we got all the way to deacons last week, and I kind of rushed through that. I just want to... Uh, so. To begin with, three clarifications. Why did I begin last week with talk of translations and that the word apostle is actually a Greek word that just kind of comes into English? Uh, The reason for that is as you're reading your New Testament, if you were reading it in Greek, you would find some instances of the word apostle being used and you would think to yourself, I've never heard of this person being called an apostle. That's because the Greek word apostle simply means messenger. Okay? In the same way deacon has the same Greek meaning, or has a Greek meaning, which is servant. So as you're reading your New Testament, especially if you're reading it in Greek, you would understand, you would find some people called deacon and you would wonder to yourself, is this speaking of the capital D office of deacon in the church or is this simply a Greek word for servant, someone who is particularly serving the church in a certain manner? Uh, those are translation issues, and by and large, if you have an English copy of the Bible, uh, they have tried to do that for you. Just be aware that there is some work that has to be done to designate apostle and deacon. Thankfully, though, elder is not such a designation. That was clarification number one. Uh, Clarification number two, why did I say last week that uh, Acts 6 doesn't necessarily have to be the the beginning of the deacon ministry? Uh, I I don't know if that's controversial or not, but it's largely accepted that Acts 6 is the institution of the office of deacon in the church. Uh, What I would simply say to that is, in Acts 6, at the beginning of the church... I don't think it is necessary that the apostles had yet worked out the full order of elder and deacon in church government, okay? I don't think it's necessary in Acts 6 that we think, okay, the apostles knew then and there that there are elders and there are deacons, and this is the institution of deacons. Rather, uh, what we find is a principle of the apostles recognizing, as did Moses, that the Need for leadership is so great that they are going to need support. Okay? So as when Moses recognized that the task of leading the nation was too great, and so uh, elders were appointed to help support the ministry. So also in Acts 6, we see the apostles uh, have a ministry that, it, that would be too great for them if there wasn't assistance. So we see the congregation choosing, and then the apostles affirming or appointing. Uh, that's, that's another clarification of Acts 6 that I want to make. Uh, when, when we say that the membership of the church has authority to appoint its own leaders, that is not strictly independent of the existing leadership of the church. When we see the principle in Scripture, let's just take Acts 6 for example, that the apostles told the congregation to choose for themselves, what we might just call deacons there, okay? So choose for yourselves, deacons. The apostles didn't come back and say, well, you picked them, you live with them. No, the apostles affirmed their choice in the same way that we should not expect in the modern church for the congregation to be able to elect elders and say, hey, existing elders, we've elected, you've got to live with them, okay? Now, if that kind of dynamic was going on in a church and your church has problems, But just from uh, a biblical principle perspective, the elders certainly exercise some right to say to the membership, uh, you know, you don't know everything you need to know about this man. uh, And and we do. And because we have this certain uh, necessity of keeping confidence, uh, we, we can't recognize this man as an elder. That's perfectly legitimate. I wanted to clarify that point. Uh, third clarification from last week regards deacon authority. Okay, I did not mean to imply last week that when, when I said that the deacons are independent of the elders and they don't need the elders to oversee them, I did not mean that deacons, as members of the church, have no need for the elders to oversee their souls, to, uh, to, to do all the things that elders do for the deacons. I didn't mean to imply that. What I did mean to imply is that in the realm of various authorities, human authorities in the church, deacons possess a unique authority. They are, in a very real sense, spiritual leaders, and they should be recognized as such. Now, their spiritual leadership does not extend to the tasks that we'll see for elders, which is particularly ruling and teaching, okay? But in the realm of their own authority, they are recognized by the church and gifted by God to exercise that authority without what we might, in a modern day language, call micromanaging of the elders. Okay, This is neither profitable for the deacon nor the elder. Okay, Because if the elder is responsible to micromanage everything that the deacon does, then the elder has not been freed up to do what he needs to do by designating things to the deacon. Okay, So the deacon has... Designated authority over the particular ministry that that person is given. Okay, to uh, to exercise that authority. Yeah. Any questions or any further clarifications I need to make?
1: You need to start the
0: I did start the recording. <laughs> All right. Any questions about last week, Ron? Now, would you say this would be kind of like checks and balances? Yes. Um, When we talk of congregationalism, uh, often we get mixed up in in sort of an American way of governing, where when we talk about election of elders, it's not that two men are running against each other, and they're competing. And they're, you know, out here getting votes, okay? No, that, that, that's not what we're saying. Uh, in, in the same way, when it comes to exercising the church's authority over receiving members and excluding members, uh, when it comes to this kind of authority, every human authority ought to be looking back. What, all that we're doing in exercising our authority is searching the will of the camp. What is the will of the king? So in that sense, there's no check or balance on the king. Right. his will is supreme, all of us in our various authorities are just searching for the will of the king. When we choose our elders wisely, then the checks and balance is the word of God, the apostolic witness. And the membership does have authority to remove heretical... Elders. We don't have the authority to remove elders who, uh, well, we just don't like like that they did this or they said this or they didn't show up to that function or lots of things. Or they put red carpet in the sanctuary. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, checks and balances. That's, I I would say no. Yeah, Larry.
1: Yeah. I wasn't here for what you said last week, but um, just, just uh, I don't know if this is an answer to your question or not, Ron, but just basically understanding fundamentally that the office the of elder is a ruling office, whereas the office of deacon is not. It's a serving office, and so it's not, a, it's not checks and balances in the sense that you know, we gotta make sure that the elders um, have some some kind of control of what they're doing and we're going to uh, keep them from going off, you know, off the, the charts and some things. Um, it's, not, it's not checks and balances in, in that sense. Um, it's more that the deacons are there to assist the elders as they, you know, rule and serve. and. and by ruling, it's it's ruling, but it's a, they're a servant ruler too. Even yeah. The elders are servant rulers; they're not they're not dictatorial, you know, magistrates. But um, but they are a ruling office right. in, in distinction from the deacon, the, 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 the which is a, a serving office.
0: Right. I appreciate that, Larry. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Anne. I
1: had miss last week too, but um, did you talk at all about churches that have deacons ruling?
0: Uh, So last week I got as far as deacons in my outline and I tried to rush through elders as quickly as possible And realized very quickly I need to come back We're going to do elders in depth this morning and then just talk about the various organizations of the elders uh, that Church different churches have organized how they've organized their eldership Some
1: churches
0: put the deacons over the elders Yes, that, that is completely unbiblical deacons are not overseers over the elders and thank, yeah, that's, that's also a great point. But all of these negations, everything we say that deacons are not, let us hold them in high regard because they are, in a sense, spiritual leaders among us. They are men qualified and godly and desirous of the will of the king to be brought into the church. Okay? So if the elder assigns a deacon a role, we also ought to let the deacon exercise that authority that has been given to him with, uh, with gladness. Okay? All right. So what we really do need to do is dig deep in what the Scripture says about elders. Okay? So we'll get to the top part of the board, which I know no one can read, but I'll read it for you. Uh, you may not even be able to read the three-quarter bottom of the board, but hopefully we can get through this today. Okay, uh, so first off, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Before we dig into the board itself, let's ask the question, do we expect the Bible to give us instructions about how to organize our church? In, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. Did I say 2 Timothy? Okay, I did, good. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, but as for you, so Timothy to, I'm sorry, Paul to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. who, Who is the man of God? Now, in a sense, I know that every man in the church ought to aspire to godliness. I understand that. But the phrase man of God in the Scripture has a particular reference to leaders. Okay? So when Paul is speaking to Timothy, he tells him, flat out, the scripture is able to make you all of these things, man of God, to equip you to teach and to lead. Okay? So let's not fall into the misconception that the Bible doesn't speak to the organization of church government. The Bible does speak to it, and in fact, uh, we should expect to find it in the Bible. Uh, When we get to the lesson on worship, we're going to introduce a concept called the regulative principle. The regulative principle simply states that when it comes to the worship of Almighty God, what God has commanded we must do, and what he has forbidden we must not do. Okay? So, we are bound by the scriptures in our worship, but the regulative principle also extends to the organization of the government of the church. The Bible, we ought to look to the Bible to say, how should we organize our churches? It is not that the Bible is unclear, or that it left it purposely vague, so that through practicality we can come up with whatever system seems best to us. Introduction. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. We want to walk through these particular passages, and we want to look to see what does the Bible say about the designations of elders, the qualifications of elders, the authority of elders, the honor given to elders, the plurality of elders, Excuse me, and how do these uh, passages then relate to the independence and congregational nature of the church. So, how do the elders relate to the church itself? Okay, so we want to back up to Ephesians chapter four, verses eleven and twelve, where we read, "And he, it is this is uh, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers." to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, so let's start to fill in our grid here. Uh, Jesus has given, yes, he's given apostles, yes, he's given uh, prophets, uh, but specifically for uh, our purposes, Jesus has given us, I'm sorry, I wrote the wrong word there. He has given us pastor teachers. Okay? Jesus has given us pastor-teachers. Now, I know in your English it can be difficult, but uh, what is the construction? Is it pastors and teachers? Is it this is different? Uh, the language would indicate that this is a hyphen or a slash. He says a pastor teacher okay you you would say it all in one word uh, the bible has given us pastor teachers now let's find all the other places in the new testament where the noun pastor is used for this office let me just re- review my notes here wait this is it now we are very accustomed to calling our leaders pastor right it's pastor mark and pastor keith and pastor keith and pastor thad right that's our designation pastor has become our, uh, our 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 word right now pastor can mean shepherd right same word here but the new testament this is the only instance of the noun form of the word pastor okay one of the designations for our elders is pastor what is their authority in this passage their authority is to quit they have the authority to equip the members for the work of ministry. Okay, let's go on then to any, any questions about Ephesians chapter four. Our leaders are pastor teachers, and their job is to equip. Okay, let's go to First Peter chapter five, verses one through four. not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. What does First Peter chapter five verses one through four teach us about the office of elder? Okay. Well, first we learn what the uh, who Peter is addressing. Right. He is addressing the. I really wish I had a better pen the elders okay he says he he is addressing the elders as a fellow elder right but peter also uses the the verb form of shepherding right what is the elder's job the elder's job is to be a shepherd right so if their job is shepherding then it is right for us to understand that pastors the elders are pastors they are shepherds okay what what other verb does Peter use about the office of overseer here um, I'm sorry the office of elder he tells them to oversee right the verb form so we see that elders are pastors are overseers right? first Peter chapter 5 makes it clear that there is no distinction between in this one office that we're talking about between these three designations, elders are pastors, pastors are elders, elders are overseers, overseers are elders. It is the same designation for all three uh, of these words. okay? All three of these words are referring to the same office. Well, what are the qualifications that we find in First Peter chapter 5 here? Uh, we find that pastors that one of their qualifications is that they are willing, okay? not under compulsion here we go let's try green they are nope i don't think purple is going to be much better they are willing one of the qualifications is the elders must be willing they can't be compelled in a in a compulsory sense no i don't want to do this i don't want to leave the church well okay then you're not qualified to leave the church okay also uh Eagerly, they must be eager to exercise this office well, not because they think, oh, there's money in this, right? Shameful gain is, I'd love to be a pastor. I hear pastors make bank. That's not true. That's not true. Pastors don't make bank. Okay, uh, some charlatans, yeah, some charlatans feed on the flock. And that and that and that is shameful. And they're not really pastors, they're not elders. Okay? Uh, what is the authority of the pastor that we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5? Now, this is important. It's important to know that each of these designations for elder also translates into what their authority consists of, right? If the pastor is an elder, then the pastor is a leader. Oh, look at that. Can you see that? <laughs> If the pastor is an elder, then his authority is to lead. If the pastor is uh, a pastor, then his authority is to care for, to, uh, to keep watch over your souls, as we'll see in another passage here. And if the uh, pastor's role, if one of their designations is overseer, then their authority is to rule. Okay? So this is the authority that we see in 1 Peter chapter 5 here. What is the honor that will be given to pastors in 1 Peter chapter 5? What's the ultimate honor that you see in this passage here? Um, exactly. The crown of glory. Now, pastoring a church is not like a bed of roses. It's like the most cushy job you can have. No. Uh, pastoring a church means that you're dealing with sinful people. Here I am, right? They have to deal with us sinful people, and there's different opinions, and uh, ruling, and teaching, and leading all of us well. The Bible is right to call us sheep, just wandering everywhere, right? We just wander, everywhere, and they have to corral us, and hurt us, and get us uh, back into position. But there is an honor to the office of elder. Jesus himself will give them the unfading crown of glory. All right, let's also see that Peter is uh, insistent that there is a plurality of elders in every church. If we read the passage again, we see that there are elders, right, to all the churches. Uh, Back up to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, all these cities. Uh, Peter intended his book to be read cyclically. He intended the book to go out to many churches. And far from thinking that what he might find in all these churches would be various kinds of church governments. Far from thinking that, Peter writes to all of these various cities where these churches have been planted, and he expects to find elders, plural, in all of these churches, which uh, teaches us about independence, um, so the various cities, and it teaches us about congregationalism in the sense that uh, each congregation had their own uh, set of elders, okay? Peter expects when he writes this, his readers aren't going to go, what do you mean, elders? We have a pastor. No, it's not what Peter expects. He expects when he writes to these people, they're going to say, yeah, the elders, we got those, okay? First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, uh, with a quick reference to chapter 1, verse 1. Any questions about 1 Peter chapter 5? Let's move on to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. In Acts chapter 20, we find Paul on his way to Rome. He is in chains, and he, uh, he's on this journey that he expects to end in his death. And so in verse 17, he, you know, he's, he's traveling through, and when he gets to Ephesus, uh, well, when he gets to Miletus, I should say, in verse 17, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came, he said to them, okay, uh, what, what do we learn in verse 17 here? We learn that there are elders. S, yep, there's a D in there too. There are elders, plural S, in the church of Ephesus. Not churches of Ephesus. We don't find that in the book of Acts. We're finding multiple congregations in every city. Uh, We're finding a Christian community designated as a church, one unified church per city. There are elders in that church, not elders in those churches. Okay. We see that there are a plurality of elders there. Now, uh, turn in the same chapter to verse 28. Paul is addressing them, and he tells them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Let's just make another designation here. Yourselves. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to abbreviate. To the flock. There's no S. Don't pay attention to yourselves and to the flocks that you're over. He's addressing one body of elders. They are are yourselves over one flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, What else do we... uh, So as far as the designations go, in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, we learn that this office consists of elders... And we learn that this office is designated as overseers. Okay? So we're, we're getting a pattern, right? We see pastor teachers, elders, pastor overseers, elders, overseers. It's a pattern through the New Testament that we can see that this is referring to one office. What is the authority that the elders exercise over the church in Ephesus? They care for. Specifically, right? It's called out. You care for the flock of God. What is the honor that elders are given in this passage? Uh, They oversee uh, the flock that Jesus obtained with his own blood. Okay? It is a high calling. The church of Jesus Christ in the world is the authority through which Jesus is building his kingdom the church built that Jesus has obtained with his own blood is ruled by qualified men and this is a is a point of honor for them it ought to be a point of honor for us yes we have been obtained by the blood of Jesus Those who rule over us have a high calling. It is an honorable thing for them uh, to have this this designation. Notice also the independence of the church of Ephesus. Uh, It is the Holy Spirit who has made them overseers. So, uh, we, we might expect that from Miletus, which is clearly within traveling distance of Ephesus, right? Paul's in Miletus, he calls to the elders of Ephesus, they come to him. It's in traveling distance. If it's in traveling distance, then uh, Paul might be, uh, if, if he needed to, he could say, right, all of the territory here and all of the elders in this territory, but Paul is very careful to call them one flock, over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. A quick word about what we mean by independence. Independence does not mean that uh, every church is like the Wild West, like it's just whatever we think goes right, whatever comes into our minds. We're independent and we get to do uh, ministry the way we want to do, and we get to uh, organize ourselves the way we want to organize ourselves. That that's really not what. Uh, independence mean. Rather, what we mean by independence is there's no higher ecclesiastical authority over the church that we that we can call upon to, uh, to resolve disputes or to uh, settle questions of doctrine. Uh, <clears throat> what we mean by independence of the church is that every church has its own authority to receive its own members and to elect its own uh, officers, and those officers who have been elected are equipped themselves to teach us doctrine and to rule us well. And what we uh, don't see in the New Testament is a form of, any any higher human ecclesiastical authority that is called upon to uh, to prosecute matters of a single local church. Okay, we don't see that. So the Principle of independence, I believe, is taught in Acts chapter 20 in that the Holy Spirit has made these elders of Ephesus the overseer of their one flock. And so these elders in Ephesus are perfectly equipped and uh, capable of ruling their own church well. Any questions about Acts chapter 20?
1: Larry. No question, just a quick comment. In verse 28, the same term is used in the verb form for pastor. Yeah. It's pastor or shepherd. We translate as shepherd, shepherd, the church of Bethlehem. See all three terms again, yeah. elder, overseer, and shepherd all used of the
0: one office and Acts one. Thank you for keeping me honest. The worst writing you'll see in your entire lifetime. <laughs> right there, All right. Any other questions or comments about Acts 20? All right. Let's move on to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. You might say, isn't it it sufficient? I think we have all of the boxes filled in now. We We have at least one proof text for all of these. Well, if we were to take... Uh, the regulative principle seriously, that we approach the Bible believing that it has something to say about church government, uh, then let's just see what else it has to say. We may not get through all of these, and if we don't, then that's fine. Uh, But let's just see what the Bible has to say about our elders and how we govern the church. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are often referred to as the pastoral epistles. Okay? It is, uh, they are letters that Paul wrote to his apostolic assistants instructing them how to pastorally order a church and what the qualifications for the uh, eldership model ought to be in those churches? So here in First in, in Titus chapter one verses five through nine, uh, we learn that Paul is talking to Titus about elders. Okay, so there we have the designation again. Um, Paul is talking about the elders. Uh, And and here we start to really see the qualifications for elders take shape. Now, we could also go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where uh, many of the same qualifications are expounded. Not the exact same list, which is to say that uh, there are uh, principles about the qualifications for elders. Certainly, an elder must uh, fulfill all the qualifications explicitly stated. But the principles here are uh, principles of... Um, ruling well, well, let's just say, ruling well in their current sphere. Right? Ruling well in their current sphere. But which is why Paul gives instructions on matters of uh, his family life. Why why does a pastor have qualifications for uh, how his family is structured and and whether he has ruled well in his family? If he hasn't been able to rule his family well, then what gives us confidence that he'll be able to rule the church well? Uh, But we also see uh, principles of qualifications for elders that have to do with character, his integrity, uh, his godliness, Uh, All of these uh, conforming his life to uh, the life of Jesus himself and all of these uh, characters of godliness, right? So in these family matters and in these character matters, we see that there are qualifications for uh, elders, pastors, overseers, right? And just as we looked at last week, there are qualifications for, uh, that the qualifications for deacons might give us some insight into uh, what a deacon's role might be in the church. So also we see that the qualifications for elders help us to see what an elder's authority is in the church too. Now now we have several that are just specifically stated, right? Uh, One of the elder's authority is to steward Okay, so a steward is one who has been given uh, an underlying responsibility under the main authority, okay? The main authority being King Jesus, and under the main authority, there are elders who are given the responsibility to steward. Uh, Specifically, steward usually has to do with financial obligations. So uh, we can understand that the elders have ultimate responsibility for administering the finances of the church. I say ultimate responsibility. That doesn't say that the elders can't designate others to help them administer the finances, but the elders have ultimate responsibility to uh, rule the finances of the church. Okay. Uh, Not only is that an explicit authority of the elder, but also an explicit authority is to give instruction. It is the elders authority to instruct the church in sound doctrine now does that mean that what tim larry and i do in this class that we're being unbiblical in the same way that the elders can designate others within the congregation to uh to help them in exercising their authority to steward so also the elders can uh, Solicit assistance from others in the church to help them give instruction, okay? Uh, but anybody who gives instruction in the church is ultimately under the authority of the elders because it is the elders' authority to give instruction. It is their role and responsibility. And so if I've gone here and I say a bunch of wrong things, it is Pastor Keith's responsibility to stand up, sit me down, and continue the lesson, okay? Is responsible. <laughs> I am not responsible for anything.
1: <laughs> and uh, and finally,
0: explicitly in Titus chapter one, uh, an elder's responsibility is to rebuke those who contradict this sound doctor, okay? Uh, but also, uh, we can look to the other qualifications, and we can get a well-rounded idea of what an elder is to do, but quite summarily, it is... It is uh wise for us to just designate these two broad principles of what the elders' authority is. To rule the church and to teach the church. These are the broad realms of authority. Uh, we also see in Titus chapter 1 that there are uh, elders plural in the one church. Uh, the plurality of elders in a single church is also taught here. Uh, independence uh Paul speaks of the town, right? The town in which I said you are to appoint elders in every town. Which is not to say that Paul is looking for uh, Timothy to create a hierarchical structure, right? In all the towns that I send you, yeah, get elders in those churches, but also get bishops over them, right? No, the independence of the church is taught here also because Titus is instructed to appoint elders in every town. And, uh, and even the ideas of order and appointing point us to a congregational model of church government, in that uh, we should not expect Paul to have other ideas of how the ordering and appointing is to go than the other apostles that we read about in the book of Acts, which where we found the apostles telling the congregation to choose from among yourselves, and then the apostles agreeing with that decision, verifying that decision. Okay? So, we shouldn't expect... It has been argued that Titus chapter 1... means that we actually have a top-down authority. We have Paul and his assistant Titus appointing the elders without reference to the churches. Um, You have to read that into the text, but since we have other witness of the scripture of how this appointing goes, which is that the congregation chooses and the leadership uh, verifies, uh, we should assume that Paul is following the same uh, order. I do. Any questions about Titus chapter 1, <laughs> verses 5 through 9? It does say overseer. Thank you. Any other comments? Corrections? 1 Timothy chapter 5. You just got to back up a few pages, really. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 22. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Okay. Uh, Here we have the classic text for summarizing the, uh, the authority of elders, which is to rule and to teach. Classic text is to rule and to teach. Now, There are, it it has been argued that what this passage is actually teaching is that there are two different classes of elders. There are ruling elders and there are teaching elders. And ruling elders are more lay in their capacity. they're, They're elders, but they don't have the primary responsibility of teaching. Now, is that the point that Paul is trying to draw here? Is he setting up a two-class system of elders? We have ruling elders and teaching elders. I don't think so. I think, rather, what we see is a progression. What, we have, what Paul has in mind here is a complete council of elders, okay? a complete group of elders. Out of that group of elders, we have some who are standout rulers, And those who are standout rulers, we have others who are standout teachers. We have an entire group of elders, but among that group of elders, we have some who excel in administration and teaching. Why bring it up then? Well, certainly we understand from the scripture that there are various gifts given to the church. We should expect that there is various giftedness within our eldership also. We should expect that uh, if it is a spiritual gift to teach, then uh, though it is a qualification and a necessity that all, teacher, all all pastors be able to give instruction and to rebuke, it is their responsibility, therefore their authority to do so, uh, it would seem natural that because the giftedness of Christ is various, even within our eldership, there would be those who are more gifted in teaching than others. That's perfectly fine. What should we do with these elders who are more gifted in teaching? We give them double honor. Now, what in the world could double honor mean? I mean, yeah, we respect all our elders, but we really respect Pastor Mark, because he carries the majority of the the preaching. No, that's not what that means. Actually, this is a uh, Greek phrase that has to do with financial support. Okay. So another thing we need to talk about when it comes to the elders of the church is, uh, should elders of the church be paid for their work? Well, Paul here definitely says that elders ought to be paid. And, and in fact, he gives a couple of illustrations. Uh, for example, the uh, you are not to muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, right? So if you muzzle the ox, then you're going to get more grain uh, as you're uh, conducting the harvest, right, because that uh, ox isn't eating at all, but you have deprived the ox of his right, which is to uh, enjoy the bounty of the field while he's out there working for you, right? Um, uh, I don't know if our pastors appreciate the ox metaphor or not, but um, right? uh, it, it is, it is uh, telling us something about whether or not we ought to pay our elders. We ought to pay our elders. Ought we to pay all of our elders? Maybe, but not necessarily. It is certainly within Paul's thinking in 1 Timothy chapter 5 here that there are some elders who are going to be paid and there are some who are not. Those who are paid uh, have given themselves uh, more fully to uh, the teaching and to the ruling and, and it's perfectly fine. Right? They are all elders. They all possess the same authority and the same responsibility. It's just some we have set aside to vocationally, which is to say, they uh, set aside work that could provide for their families so they can focus intently on ruling and teaching us, and uh, we should be happy, this is the honor that we can give to our pastors to joyfully give and let them have the fruits of their labor, okay? Okay. This is an honor that we can give to our pastors. Um, not only, there's another honor that pastors have here, elders. Now, I told you that the, that the normal designation in the Bible is elders, but I, I can't get away from saying pastors, right? Uh, it's, it's what we say here. Uh, but there's another honor uh, that is given to pastors, and that is the laying on of hands. Okay? The laying on of hands is another honor. They are set apart. They are designated, right? And we ought to honor our pastors by recognizing their authority and their set-apartness for their service to us. Okay. Um, Time is the enemy. Um, In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, I'll leave leave you to read it later. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we read that there are uh, leaders... And these leaders keep watch over our souls, which is their authority to do, to keep watch over our souls. And we ought to obey and submit to them. This is the honor we owe to them, to obey and to submit to them, and to make it their joy to do so. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us that if we obey and submit to our leaders as they keep watch over our souls, then we are giving them honor by giving them joy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13 uh, teaches us that those who labors uh, among us, uh, they are to admonish us, they are to administrate over us. Time is getting away. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the rest. Uh, okay, so... What have we seen? Just in an overview of several scriptures, specifically um, the pastoral epistles, we, we adhere to the idea that the Bible has not left us wondering how to order our churches, but rather we would expect the Bible to teach us how to order our churches. So what have we learned here? Well, there are a few different models that have been given through church history as to how to order our churches. Uh, The most dominant is a hierarchical ordering where there is a bishop at the top, and under the bishop, uh, he rules the priests, and the priests rule the members. And uh, they're taking the word elder, presbyteros in Greek, and they're translating it priest, which is, there's no other way to say it. It's a bad translation. Presbyteros does not mean priest. There is a Greek word that means priest. It's not presbyteros. But uh, they have persisted in the idea now the most common form of this government that we know of is the Roman Catholic Church where where even this hierarchy has more hierarchies on top of it where there are uh, cardinals and uh, arch whatevers and then finally the Pope right where we have this massive hierarchy but it is top down and they would argue that as the apostles exercise top down authority over the church, so also the current leadership structure of the church ought to uh, exercise a top down hierarchy. The pope chooses the archbishops or cardinals or whatever, and those men choose the cardinals, and those, I'm sorry, they choose the bishops, and those bishops choose the priests, and those priests are assigned to congregations. Now, there are other uh, Anglican sort of versions of this where they don't go all the way to a pope, uh, but it's more regional in its hierarchical structure. And if you were to study those in depth, you would find that even in some of the Anglican tradition churches, they would have within their membership a a group set aside to help uh, the priests rule well so in a sense they would claim some congregationalism which is to say there's a representative of the congregation who help the priest understand how to administer his responsibility that's one uh, (laughs) model there's another model which is more of a bottom up but we would call this the presbyterian model in the presbyterian model there are the uh, various congregations that I've designated with members, right? They're, they're the various groups of members. Out of the members, there is elders selected. From those elders of the single churches, they gather into regional elderships. They have words for these. I don't think we need to worry ourselves with learning new language like that, but there are regional elders, and then those out of those regional elderships, uh, they join together in a national eldership, and each of these national and regional, all of these um, hierarchies exercise authority over all of the churches. So if, a, if the national eldership makes a decision, it is binding on all the churches, which I would argue goes against the independence principle in the scripture, where every local church is sufficient with its own leadership to conduct its own worship and to order its own affairs and to uh, to receive its own members, to exclude its own members, independent congregationalism is what I believe the Bible teaches, which is what is more represented in this model here. There are elders and there are members, and the elders are elected out of the members, and the elders are ruling over the members, and there is a relationship there where uh, the elders are raised up from the membership, the elders rule over the congregation. If the elders should, uh, God forbid, uh, go against the word of God, then the members have recourse to correct the situation. Okay, Uh, This is the model independent, congregational, plurality of elder-ruled churches that I believe the Bible teaches. Now, how do we Um, how do we approach those with different models? Well, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I taught through 1 Timothy to the middle school boys. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, in verses 8, starting in verse 8, actually, uh, just starting in verse 11, uh, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, if you read that in a class of middle school boys, what do you say to them? This is what I said to them. I said to them, it is not your responsibility at this time in your life to look to your mom or your sisters or any other woman and decide whether she's obeying this passage. It is your responsibility at this time to decide if you are going to be the kind of man who a woman can joyfully submit to and Obey this passage for herself because you're the kind of man who will step, in, step up into leadership and rule and guide and uh, be the husband you ought to be. How does that relate to these church models? Um, unless someone from the Episcopalian church down on, is it Ford, is like your best friend and you're sitting down and you're having a conversation about polity, your time would probably be better spent talking with your friend from the Episcopalian Church on gospel matters. Are you trusting Christ? Are you repenting of your sins? Um, There may be a time and a place for you to have conversations with other congregations in in the Owensboro area about these different polity matters. Rather, though, we understand this so that A few weeks ago, we talked about the purity of the local church. As you strive for the purity of Heritage Baptist Church, we study these things and we try to understand these things so that we can order ourselves properly, so that we can associate with churches who have ordered themselves properly, so we can cooperate in ministry with other uh, churches who are seeking purity in these matters. Okay, it's not that we can't associate or coordinate with churches who are less pure in these matters, but really, let's always keep those three fingers pointed back at ourselves, right? Are we seeking the purity necessary for Heritage Baptist Church and what the Bible would teach? And as occasion arises, maybe you help a brother or sister in the community understand. The greater purity that they could have in their church polity if they were to follow the scriptures. So be generous. Be generous with those who take the title bishop. It is the way overseer was translated, and I don't specifically mean the hierarchy here. I mean, if you encounter a brother in an African American church and they, instead of using the word pastor, they use the word bishop. First, strive to understand what those brothers and sisters mean by their designations before you just kind of jump in and say, Ah! You don't have elders or anything of the like, okay? Graciousness is what we should be marked by. We got to go. Praise the Lord. Let's go worship Him. (coughs)